0: This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. You know what? There's no
1: doubt, Brett. You did some great things. You've done it all. You've done everything possible in the World Wrestling Federation that any single man can do. You've done it all. But you notice I'm using the past tense, Brett. You've done it. That was in the past. That was then. This is now. You've never faced me, Brett. All those other accolades that you earned, everything that you did in the past, that was before you ever saw the rocket face-to-face, one-on-one. So everything that you did, all those great achievements, all those victories, all those world titles, all those intercontinental titles, everything that you did, Brett, let me sum this up. You did all that, but I go out at WrestleMania 10 and I beat you one, two, three, which is what I'm going to do. And you know it, and I know it, and it's only a matter of time. Then that makes me better than you, doesn't it, Brett? It's simple to figure out. You do all that, but I take it one step higher because I surpass everything you've done. And I surpass you because I'm gonna beat you, then that makes me better than you, correct? I think so. And you know what? When you light the rocket on fire and it blasts off at WrestleMania 10 and it soars straight to the top, there's nothing, nothing that will ever stop the rocket, brother. Five, two. music break it down this so oh you didn't know stand back i'm on my seat do you smell what the rock is cooking Eat me oh, is yeah. no, enough
2: you're listening to music of the mat on the voices of wrestling podcast network
0: Hello and welcome to Music of the Mat, the podcast devoted exclusively to the music of pro wrestling. It's all part of the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. I'm your host, Andrew Rich. And uh, if you're wondering why I have a very goofy voice, uh, it's because I'm sick. Uh, But uh, fortunately for me, I am not alone on this episode Joining me today is the host of the podcast, The Military Industrial Suplex, which I was a former guest on. It's Tom Batista. Tom, welcome, man.
2: Thank you, Andrew. Thank you for having me on, and this should be very great and very fun, a very fun episode coming up.
0: Yeah, it's great to have you on here, for sure, and it's nice to, uh, you know, return the favor from when I was a guest on your podcast, which was back in November, December of last year, I believe, and... Yeah. Uh, Surprise, surprise, we talked about the history of music in wrestling, uh, specifically the U.S. Uh, So eventually I I wanted to bring you on the show as my guest co-host and return the favor. And uh, here you are.
2: Yeah, it was a very good episode. Very well received. Uh, A lot of positive feedback for that one. So now we get to do something similar, another collaboration. So again, this should be fun. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So uh, just to give people a little info about yourself, uh, when and how did you get into being a wrestling fan?
2: Wow, wrestling has always just been in my family, so I'm not sure exactly when. uh, But larger-than-life characters, you see Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage, Ultimate Warrior. I was mainly a WWF guy growing up, and that was my first intro into pro wrestling. So just seeing these larger-than-life characters as a child... You want to see more. You want to see more of the He-Man and uh, the Transformers and pro wrestling. And you just want to see these larger than life personalities. So that's what got me in.
0: Wow. Yeah. And um, I imagine music has been a big part of your fandom all these years.
2: Oh, absolutely. Yes, very much so. Um, my mom was pretty eclectic uh, growing up. So it, would, it was usual for there to be Michael Jackson, Fleetwood Mac, uh, Reba McIntyre. Uh, Just so many people playing, so many bands, so many different artists, so many different genres. And so today, I'm pretty much the same. I listen to everything. I'm always looking for new music. I'm on Spotify or Amazon or following music blogs like Pitchfork, just trying to find the new greatest thing and just really exploring music. So absolutely.
0: Yeah. And the great thing about wrestling is that it, too, has a very eclectic soundtrack to it. You know, all sorts of, of different genres and sounds and styles. Obviously, you know, some eras are more prone to, you know, some sounds than others are. But uh, it's great to see, you know, over time the evolution of wrestling music and how it evolves. And we'll see on this episode, too, uh, with our subject today, how his wrestling themes evolved over the years. So, uh, yeah, again, thank you for being on here, Tom. Uh, this is episode 39. And today we are going to look at the theme history of one of the all-time greats, He's a member of the legendary Hart family, a former WWF intercontinental tag team and European champion, the 1994 King of the Ring, and a two-time Slammy Award winner. He did it all by himself. Woo! It's the King of Hearts, Owen Hart. And there's no specific reason why we're doing Owen Hart now. I, I was just mulling over possible topics to do, and I decided, you know, why not Owen Hart? And Tom, when I asked you if you wanted to come on the podcast, I first asked you if you were a big Owen Hart fan in general. And you said that you love Owen and he was a high point for you in your younger years. Uh, What is it about Owen Hart that made him so endearing to you as a fan? What about him that hooked you in?
2: For me, one of my favorite characters, uh, cartoon characters of all time, is Daffy Duck. And Owen Hart, to me, was the Daffy Duck of pro wrestling, more so in WWE than anywhere else. Owen's character was that of a good guy who didn't get any respect. If you ask him, he didn't get any respect. And at the end of the day, he never felt like he got what he deserved. Uh, As a young child, in some cases, having a brother myself, uh, being the older brother, not the younger brother in Owen's case, But sometimes I felt that. I felt as though my parents were in a conspiracy against me. They favored the younger brother. Uh, So it was the Brett Owen dynamic possibly uh, reversed. Uh, But again, this is the mind of a six-year-old at the time. So perhaps I was completely jaded as to what was really going on. Uh, I read some time ago an article uh, detailing the polar opposites of personalities of Daffy Duck and Bugs Bunny. And while I'm reading this, I couldn't help but to think of Brett and Owen. And so Bugs Bunny is calm, cool, and collected more often than not. And Daffy was the exact opposite. Uh, so I just want to read a little excerpt from the Slate piece uh, on Daffy oh, go Duck. Go ahead. Sure. Yeah. So yeah. It says, Daffy Duck, by contrast, is ever at war with a hostile world. He fumes, he clenches his fists, his eyes bulge, and his entire body tenses with fear. His response to bad news is a sneer. Daffy is constantly frustrated, sometimes by outside forces, sometimes by his own response to them. In one classic duel with bugs, the two try and persuade Elmer Fudd to shoot the other until Daffy is tricked by bugs, wordplay and screams, shoot me now. And just reading that, that just really dialed it home. Uh, For Owen Hart, for me, I always think of that scene at WrestleMania, Uh, Brett wins the title, the faces are in the ring, everyone's celebrating, and Owen is just outside, what about me? And again, having a brother and constantly fighting with my brother growing up, Owen and Brett, that was the thing that just hooked me in and I really related to that as a younger guy and Owen was always one of my favorite characters because he was one of the heels that would say something and say hey I try to be a nice guy I try to do the right thing and it got me nowhere and as a kid I'm sitting there shaking my head like that's right Owen you you tried <laughs> you did your best <laughs> so um, yeah I, I loved Owen hard. and as I got older I really started to appreciate the nuance and complexities in his characters, So not only in his match work, but when he would throw in a little comedy or throw in a little joke to try and knock people off their promos and you can see someone smile and try and get right back in line. Uh, so yeah, Owen was just fantastic. Absolutely fantastic.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, unfortunately, I, I don't have that connection to Owen through watching him live in real time because I, I got into wrestling in 03 which, of course, was a few years after Owen had passed away. So I never I never got to see him wrestle Brett or Sean or his tag team with the Bulldog in real time. But you know, thanks to the wonders of the modern age, uh, we have hundreds of hours of video footage at our disposal. And just going back and watching old Owen matches or clips of him cutting promos, it's so obvious why he's so beloved and why so many people gravitated towards him it's because he was so damn entertaining to watch. Obviously, his in-ring work was tremendous uh, and ahead of its time in a lot of ways. Uh, you go back and watch him in 88, 89, during his first run as the Blue Blazer, and he's doing moonsaults and springboard backflips and top rope missile drop kicks and all of these moves that today are pretty ho-hum, pretty commonplace. But back then, they're so unique and so different. He was very much, in a lot of ways, a pioneer of that light heavyweight, cruiserweight style in North America. And, of course, there's also the character work as well that you you touched upon. Uh, The promos, the mannerisms, his personality. He managed to be so loud and obnoxious and cocky, but at the same time be so funny and so endearing. You love to hate him as opposed to just hating him. And that's not an easy thing to do at all, but Owen could do it because he just had that greatness within him. And really, that's who Owen Hart was. He was a great man. Very nice, easy to work with. Everybody loved him. He loved his family, saved his money. Owen was very much a warm soul and a warm presence in a sport and a business that is often quite cold. Um, Owen was a real beacon of light and a beacon of good, um, I'm sure the people that he pulled pranks on might not think that way, but, uh, but you could st- still, you could see so clearly that whenever he wrestled and whenever people talk about him, they talk about him with reverence and, and with love.
2: No, I totally agree. Um, the wrestling business is a business where a lot of people are living their gimmicks, uh, outside of the ring and Owen Hart unironically, and I guess unintentionally lived his gimmick, the King of Hearts. And again, through all the shoot interviews and anytime you talk to anyone who worked with Owen or was close to Owen, nothing but good things, just absolutely nothing but good things about him. And I think that his wife has done a fantastic job over the last 20 years or so, and just keeping the legacy of Owen Hart, the man, uh, not necessarily the wrestler, but the man, uh, just keeping it going uh, with the Owen Hart Foundation, raising about $4 million or a little over $4 million uh, to help various people around the world. So it's just absolutely amazing that his legacy gets to continue uh, as the man with the foundation and as the wrestler uh, via the network and uh, through po- podcasts like this and conversations like we're going to have today. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, what really strikes me about Owen is that you know, as a wrestler, he's the perfect example of a guy who has all the tools in the ring. But up until a certain point, he lacked that character work to really push him over the top. And then all it took was just one moment, one spark, to light the fuse and unleash all this untapped potential. Because Owen was always a great technical wrestler. But up until the end of, like, 93, uh, beginning of 94, personality-wise, character-wise, there really wasn't much to him there. He was just kind of Bret Hart's kid brother another smiling baby face happy to be here kind of guy but then the heel turn happened where owen kicked brett's leg out of his leg and all of a sudden owen becomes this deeper more fleshed out character the the jealous bitter self-conscious younger brother living in his older brother's shadow and he knew that he was better than brett and and he was obsessed with proving it and that eventually morphed into the cocky, arrogant, obnoxious loudmouth, once he beat Brad at Mania Ten. So all of that that great promo work and character work was it was there in Owen deep down all along. He just needed the opportunity to showcase it. He needed the right storyline and the right character motivations, and he needed the mic time as well, which he really wasn't getting much of back in those days. It reminds me in a lot of ways of Neville where for years Neville was an amazing wrestler in the ring, could do all these amazing high-flying moves, but he didn't have a notable character that you could sink your teeth into. But then he turned heel and became the king of the cruiserweights, and all of a sudden this, this awesome character was born. And Owen was, again, a pioneer of sorts for that type of character arc in a lot of ways.
2: No, I totally agree with you. I mean, as you were talking, I was thinking of... Uh, more contemporary wrestlers than Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa. On the indie scene, I always recognized that they were good once the bell rang, but they had no personality. Eventually, they teamed in NXT uh, after they had varying results as singles wrestlers. They wind up teaming, an extremely over, and now they're just involved in this blood feud that is just completely over in NXT. Ciampa's one of the best heels uh, in the business, great promo work. Johnny, one of the best baby faces. And it's just really so amazing how just these one little small elements that you don't even think about uh, can just turn. It's like you said, it's just flipping on a switch where you go from bland baby face or bland heel to over baby face, over heel. And people really gravitate towards that. And it's really amazing.
0: Yeah, and what was great about that switch was that it made Owen such a great foil for Brett, because he was Brett's brother, they had the same background, obviously, the same training in the dungeon, they were very much on an even playing field when it came to the technical wrestling skills, but at the same time, Owen, when he turned heel, he became something other than Brett, he wasn't just a carbon copy of Bret Hart. Bret was stoic. He was collected. He was the quintessential Boy Scout, the champion's champion, the wrestler's wrestler. Owen was emotional. Like you said, he was petty. He was jealous. He was Daffy Duck. You know, he was conniving. Uh, that that classic moment at Survivor Series 94 where Bret is defending the belt against Bob Backlund and Backlund has Bret in the crossface chicken wing for like like seven or eight minutes or whatever it was and Owen is like begging his parents who are in the crowd that night begging Helen and Stu Hart to throw in the towel for Brett and he he just pleading with them to help Brett and save Brett and throw in the towel for him and eventually Helen does throw in the towel and as soon as she does Owen again just drops the act and he becomes the you know the ...the conniving heel, uh, and it was all a ruse, and he didn't care about Brett at all. All he cared about was that Brett lost the title, and he was no longer the champion. So even though Owen also wore the pink and black, and he also did the sharpshooter, and he also had the last name Hart, he was in so many ways different than Brett. And I can see why people liked Owen more than Brett, because he was so colorful and entertaining as a character, whereas Brett was you know, more the straight kind of guy... Until the whole '97 USA versus Canada feud, which was a different story entirely, of course.
2: Yeah, I always found Brett. My brother loved Brett, and again, you go back to the brother dynamic. My younger brother loved Bret Hart, huge Bret Hart fan. Me, the older brother, didn't like Bret Hart. I found him, at the time, to be corny, uh, just uncharismatic, very bland. And as you said, Owen had the high energy. And I think with any really good heel characters, when we start talking about uh, bad guys that resonate, we talk about bad guys who have a point. You take a look at Black Panther and T'Challa and Killmonger, and a lot of people, well, they feel for him. They feel for Killmonger and say, okay, well, I kind of see his point, but he's going about it the wrong way, versus you look at something like Affinity Wars and you have- Uh, The Infinity War's Thanos, so in the movie Thanos uh, versus the Thanos in the comic books, and you don't really sympathize with his plight or his goal or anything that he wants to do, and it kind of falls flat. So when you take a look at the two characters and you say, okay, well, which movie had the better villain? Well, it's the villain that at the end of the day, you look at it and you say, okay, this guy is crazy, and I don't want him to win, but he kind of sort of has a point And Mm -hmm. that's what Owen did. He was overlooked and he was in a lot of cases better than Brett. You could pop in an Owen Hart tape from new Japan or all Japan and put it against something Brett was doing at the time. And there could be a legit discussion about Owen being better than Brett for a very long stretch of their early careers.
0: Yeah. Well, we'll talk more about, you know, the feud between Brett and Owen as you go along here, certainly, but uh, let's get to the, the themes of, o- of Owen Hart, the many themes of Owen. And he's had a good amount of themes over the years because he's been in a lot of places, not just the WWF, but all over the world. Uh, so we'll start with New Japan Pro Wrestling, where Owen spent a few years there, on and off, beginning in 1987. Had some uh, pretty damn good matches with Jushin Thunder Liger. Uh, Owen was actually the first ever non-Japanese wrestler to win the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship. So a little fun fact for you there. And his theme there is by a guy named Carlos Alomar, who was the longtime guitarist for the late, great David Bowie. This is off of his solo album called Dream Generator, and it's called Hallucination. This is the type of song that is very much of the time period. It feels to me like it's very 80s, especially that special blend of, like, 80s prog pop, where it keeps a lot of the prog rock sensibilities, but it updates it with a more accessible, poppy sound. So, lots of 80s keyboards, uh, has a synth sound that is meant to emulate a horn section, which is a staple of a lot of 80s prog rock songs and the main melody uh, isn't necessarily too complex it keeps things pretty simple easy to follow along and in a lot of ways it actually feels like a sister song to The Score by Emerson Lake, and Powell another 80s prog rock song which was the theme song for New Japan for many years. You know it evokes that same feeling of sportsmanship and athleticism and the triumphant melody and horns they've got almost an olympic quality to them so a song like this fits into the context of the new japan scene at the time for sure
2: yeah i think with hallucinations carlos alomar pulls from the magnificent foreign sense of vangelis hallucinations is the distant cousin twice removed from the pulsating triumph and trumpets of the signature songs of the Rocky franchise. The song sets the tense tone of victory with neatly layered synths that are both unassuming and declaratively propound. It's eclectic and cool. And then the twilight. Mid-song, Carlos sends the listener into the cosmos, the sonic middle ground between light and shadow. Then suddenly, the familiar sounds of progressive rock and jazz in the lurking fear. And brings the listener back to the hard, to suppress visuals of an uplifting '80s montage, before finishing with punching Siths and the smile of David Bowie.
0: Yeah, it's it's a very interesting song. I mean, it's got that that mix, you know, between the popier, more triumphant parts and that proggy, the, those proggy parts as well. It's got that that moody little intro. It, it does take a few seconds to actually get going. And there is, like you said, about two minutes in, that long section in the middle, that twilight where it gets all new-agey and ethereal with the high-pitched synths and the pianos and the moaning guitar. But then after a few minutes, it does build back up into the sound of that that first section again It goes back to the triumphant synths and melody into this big climax. And for a wrestling theme, especially a babyface wrestling theme, it is a bit odd and a bit out of place, I think, to have that long, subdued section in the middle there. But then again, I don't think the New Japan officials were picking this song for that section. I think they were picking it for that main melody. And I don't think, I don't think it takes too long for Owen to get to the ring, so he probably got there before that section kicked in. Uh, I imagine.
2: Yeah, I can definitely see that. I thought of the X Files, Motor and Scully. Uh, when I heard that section. And I don't think it will work well in wrestling uh, at the time for the character that Owen was, what he was portraying, smiley baby face. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden the music segues into this really creepy and macabre, if you will, piece. And so, yeah, I think they pretty much stopped it before. Uh, I would be interested to see if there's any tape with the entire song playing uh, because Owen is <laughs> outside high-fiving fans or whatever it may be.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, it's the first song on the list here, and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't really say anything about Owen, and you can't really look at this song as being specific to Owen. I mean, any any upstart babyface in New Japan could have had this song probably, but truth be told, Owen at this point doesn't have a character to speak of or any big career defining traits, so he's just a wrestler at this point. He's just coming in and and wrestling Liger and Akira Nogami and guys like that, and he's still a few years into his career. And that's okay because that's true for a lot of wrestlers. You you know, you start off with a kind of a generic-ish theme, uh, one that doesn't really define you or fit you, and then over time you eventually get that theme or your character changes to fit maybe the theme, which we'll certainly get to with Owen later on.
2: Correct. Definitely.
0: So, Owen's first venture with the WWF was from 1988 to 1989. He joined the company under a mask, first as the Blue Angel, then as the more commonly known Blue Blazer, which was a superhero gimmick. And his theme song as the Blue Blazer was by Jim Johnston, and it's called Blue Heart. That was a song that sounded very dignified and noble in a sense and had it had an air of serious athletic competition surrounding it this song is not like that at all Uh, even though this song is also composed mainly of synths and keyboards they have a much different sound to them than hallucination does these synths sound a lot more fun and goofy, and childish, and cutesy, than the sense in Hallucination. Less dignified, more fun, 80s party... I mean, this entire song is so goofy and and cheesy. You hear those squeaky beeps and, and boobs that are peppered in throughout the song. It does sound like a Saturday morning cartoon show. And given that it's the Blue Blazer then I suppose it makes sense why Owen would get a song like this, because he's not being booked as Owen Hart, the serious technical wrestler. He's the Blue Blazer. He's a superhero who flies around the ring and, and does all these you know, fast-paced moves and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, it, it fits the Blue Blazer gimmick to a T, but as far as it you know, it fitting Owen Hart, quote-unquote, not so much.
2: Now, this isn't one of my favorite Owen Hart themes, in the opening seconds of Blue Heart Jim Johnson finds himself losing a laser tag shootout with Yellow Magic Orchestra (laughs) Johnson's sounds of stormtroopers' lasers blasting off aluminum siding is punctuated by galactic drums and the super locomotive sounds of riding once the song shifts gears it stays in the same gear until it's forced to shift down due to its impending end A fun, yet unremarkable piece of music from the 80s and not really one of Owen's best themes, but definitely a step up from where it was before.
0: Mm -hmm. And that makes sense again because it's the Blue Blazer in 88-89. He's not being booked as a top guy. He's a mid-carder, a lower mid-carder. So him having, like you said, a fun, but really unremarkable, unmemorable theme makes a lot of sense. And considering it's hulkamania era where we have a cavalcade of broad wacky characters that jump off the screen the fact that the, the theme song sounds like this at all just is also you know fitting as well for the era um and i suppose what's notable about this song the most is that it's technically the last owen hart theme you ever had because of course in 99 he revived the blue blazer gimmick as this you know fish out of water old school 80s gimmick returning from the past and rallying against the raunchiness and edginess of the Attitude Era like any good superhero would and it was funny because you had this 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 old cartoon character pretty much uh, running around with Val Venus and the Godfather and the Blue Meanie and all these other sort of of the time period for the Attitude Era characters and you also had a theme that was also quite out of place because of you know, at, this, at this point, almost all of the theme songs in the WWF, the Attitude Era, they, you know, they were aggressive and angry and in-your-face, and the genres were hard rock and metal and hip-hop and stuff like that. So again, it, it wasn't just the Blue Blazer gimmick that was out of time, it was the theme song as well, because this is not a theme song that would fit the Attitude Era at all. But then, then again, that was the point of it all. Him being the fish out of water character, so
2: yeah. And Hurricane would do something a few years later, uh, in the New Meadow era, in that ruthless aggression Mm -hmm. era, where everyone, where women are getting put through tables. There's HLA, uh, Triple H is having sex with the corpse, uh, those sort of things. And then you have the Hurricane, which is pretty family friendly, uh, great music, great presentation. And I think that that was Vince's. vision for Owen Hart and the Blue Blazer to start scaling in that direction, and he may have become as popular as the Hurricane.
0: So, after Owen left the WWF, he bounced around a little bit, and in 1991, he wrestled a handful of matches for WCW. Most of them were house shows, but a few TV as well. And his theme song in WCW was from the MCT Library, It's called Arras du Sol. This one, I'll be honest, I I really don't have much to say about it. It's quite, you know, it's a bit different from the previous songs. It's mainly based around the guitar, which has a southern bluesy twang to it, some simple percussion as well. There are some scant keyboards in there every so often, but for the most part, it's a guitar song. Uh, No vocals, just kind of an instrumental jam, and yeah, that's pretty much it for me. Uh, It's pretty bland, I think, pretty generic. Doesn't really stand out at all. It's not bad, but there's nothing really notable about it either, or interesting about it. Which I guess makes sense, because Owen was only in WCW for a very short time, and he himself had a run that was pretty nothing. So I guess the two kind of go hand in hand there.
2: WCW continues this tradition of unremarkable music paired with remarkable wrestlers. Owen lost his mask in the UWA prior to going to WCW, and it was time for reinvention. And so the music was part of that reinvention. This was created and used during the grunge era, noise rock, sludge metal, and the other alternative rock uh, when that began to come into the forefront of mainstream music. This is the Alice in Chains style reinvention of Owen Hart. Gone are the airy sense and false bravado is replaced with distorted guitars and even without lyrics it still carries the air of social alienation apathy and an overall desire for freedom in this music section WCW was able to capture the essence of what would become Owen's most defining traits the Daffy Duck traits as i mentioned earlier by combining elements of French southern american rock the ever building earnest swagger punctuated with spaghetti western coyote guitar cries and a driving riff that is both bold in its austere pedantic energy the Creole inspiration can be heard and felt in the final fleeting moments of a song that does in fact skim the ground
0: well uh <laughs> you uh thought a a lot more about this song than i did certainly <laughs> uh, <laughs> a song like I mean...
2: this uh there's some pieces and we're going to discuss it a little later that are just so exciting the words just come out and then there's other pieces mm-hmm. that are less inspirational again the use of the libraries the music libraries that wcw would use uh very uninspiring 95 percent of the time so for this song i listened to it multiple times Uh, I'm sure people would think that this is probably one of my favorite songs if you look at my iTunes playlist right now. Um, (laughs) But in reality, it was just really trying to figure out, okay, well, what's the method to the madness of picking this song? Knowing WCW, it was surely just some corporate exec saying, okay, well, we'll just give him this song. But we want to try and put it to Owen, his character at the time, where he was uh, in his career. And I think when you begin really thinking about it like that and the music starts to make sense. It's really finding yourself.
0: Well, that's why you're here to help me out in that that kind of situations. I guess when I can't when I can't find anything to really, you know connect to Owen, but um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah, that was the whole idea of production companies, production libraries. Of course, this was, as you said, the modus operandi for WCW for many, many years, mm-hmm. where guys would just get theme songs picked for them from you know, libraries uh, just evolved to stock of music. And it didn't necessarily matter if the song was generic or, or didn't fit the wrestler at all. It was just a case of, well, you need a song, so here's a song. And, of course, when Slam Jam came out and when Jimmy Hart went to WCW and, and became their music guy, there, there was a lot more, quote-unquote, original tracks made for WCW wrestlers. But still, that practice of production... Library of Music, it was around for a very, very long time, until the end of WCW, and it's still around to this day, actually.
2: Yeah, TNA, um, I don't believe TNA still uses a lot of it, as they did when they first started, but, I know, yeah, um, a lot of...
0: Yeah, I know Pentagon Jr. has, uh, has a Production Library song, I know that, oh. in TNA. I don't know how many other guys are there, because I know I know Dale Oliver is still there as, like, the head honcho of music, but I do know that Pentagon is one guy with, uh, uh, with production library music, so interesting. Yeah, another place that Owen wrestled in '91 was a promotion called the Tri-State Wrestling Alliance, which was a promotion out of the Philadelphia area, and it was actually the precursor to Eastern Championship Wrestling, which of course later would become Extreme Championship Wrestling. Owen only wrestled one match there, and it was against Takashi Iizuka of all people, but he still had a theme song there, and it's by Van Halen. This is from the album 51 to 50, and it's called Best of Both Worlds. last time I played a Van Halen song on the podcast was on the Stone Cold episode, where I played both Unchained and Running with the Devil. Uh, Those were uh, David Lee Roth-era songs, of course. Uh, This is a Sammy Hagar-era song. And with Sammy, his big songs in Van Halen were geared more towards the poppy side of things, more of an emphasis on accessibility by the mainstream, I mean, don't get me wrong, the DLR era had its fair share of hits too, uh, but when Sammy joined the band, he took them higher than they'd ever been before when it came to mainstream success. And that's pretty evident with a song like Best of Both Worlds, which is a light-hearted love song. It's got some catchy hooks, some fun guitar riffs, some emotional, emphatic vocals from Sammy... And I can see why you would use a song like this for a wrestling show because people can easily get into it because it's very catchy.
2: Now perhaps because this isn't an in-house pro wrestling composition, I feel like this song is the only real statement song of Owen career. And I'm not talking about Owen Hart the character. I'm talking about Owen Hart the man. This was used during his time away from WWE and he was having a cup of coffee uh, in WCW. I think Owen was looking for something outside the comfort of WWE, outside of Stampede, outside of his family. So when I hear this song and I think of Owen, I think of freedom. I think of Owen really coming into his own and understanding how he wants to lay out the next few years in, pro, in the pro wrestling business and realizes that he can march to the beat of his own drum and essentially do what Cody Rhodes is doing now. Uh, unfortunately, Owen didn't want to move to Atlanta, and in this time period, it is seen in some cases uh, the WCW years and uh, with this promotion, the lost years of Owen Hart, as he would soon return to the WWF fold.
0: Yeah, um, a song like this, you know, at face value, it doesn't really doesn't really fit Owen, I don't think, or wrestling really, because it is a love song, and. It's about having a relationship that is the best of both worlds, where, you know, despite any odds, despite any friction, you know, you have each other. It doesn't really scream wrestling, but I suppose with Owen himself, if you take it, I guess, the, uh, take the title literally, he was, in a lot of ways, the best of both worlds, because he was a great wrestler, a great uh, in-ring performer. But also a great talker as well, a great personality, a great character. Of course, this is before uh, the whole Owen Hart heel turn later on, but still, I think it's a, a cool bit of foreshadowing uh, to where Owen would eventually eventually become. Because, again, all of that talent is inside Owen Hart. It just waiting to come out. Um, but I guess, at the time, that wasn't really thought of, I guess. Uh, I, I imagine the people who ran... The T uh, was the the TSWA, they just said, All right, we'll give Owen a song here. Have this one.
2: Yeah, that's most likely the story that occurred. But if we want to romanticize it even further, a best of both worlds, a love song, the love of pro wrestling, uh, but the hatred of the schedule. A lot of pro wrestlers complain about the WF schedule. And I think that at this time, Owen was looking for something uh, more. Than that grueling schedule, uh, perhaps a lesser schedule, less banged up body, more money, or if not more money, just something that was really uh, something that would provide a very comfortable living. Uh, so can this be a considered a love song for pro wrestling and a wrestler's love for the business, but hatred of the grueling aspect of the business and the toll it takes on one's body, perhaps, or As you pointed out, some executive just chose the song, (laughs) and that's what Owens used.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think even if Owen had a different Van Halen song, I don't necessarily think that it would fit him either, because Owen doesn't seem like a Van Halen kind of guy to me. He's not the rock star. He's uh, not the party guy on screen or off screen. Um, Although, I guess if you want to stretch it a little bit, you could see Owen with the blonde hair and He's in good shape and a pretty hunky-looking guy, I guess. I can perhaps see this song being used to make Owen seem like a charismatic heartthrob with the ladies and a rockin' dude with the guys. But again, he only used this once, and I don't think that was the case at all. No, Of course, yeah. So, Owen again signed with the WWF towards the end of 1991, And he was put into a tag team with his brother in law, Jim the Anvil Neidhart. This was after the Hart Foundation had split up and Brett went solo as the Intercontinental Champion. So now we had the new foundation with Owen and Jim. Their theme song is by Jim Johnston and it's called Wrecking Crew. triumph with hallucination we had the childhood silliness with blue heart we had the good times atmosphere with best of both worlds this song is a completely different party than what we've had before because instead of the light-hearted or triumphant synths or the emotional guitar work from Eddie Van Halen we get some really gruff noises here. Uh, the low-tuned guitar and that just mean riff ba ba ba-da-da, ba-da. The stomping percussion, doo-ch, dooch, The anvil sound effects, which of course, because of Jim the Anvil Nightheart, this song is not supposed to be fun or pretty or nice. It's supposed to be rough and tumble and gritty and mechanical, and no-nonsense. Kind of a mix between the demolition theme and Vader's theme, in my opinion. So it's definitely trying to convey that ass-kicker mentality. But it's important to note that if you listen real closely to the hook, you can still hear some synths in the background backing up the guitar melody. So we're continuing that trend of an Owen Hart theme, having some sort of synth in the song. So this is easily, uh, I think the grittiest Owen Hart theme yet, and probably the grittiest theme that he ever had in his career.
2: Yeah, it's definitely a interesting theme. I did not really like the team. I'm not really a Jim, the Anvil, Neidhart fan. So anything that he's evolved in kind of goes down a notch. Uh, obviously the more people involved, the less the Neidhart factor, uh, Plays and it becomes a bit more enjoyable. We saw that in 1997 with the Heart Foundation. With Wrecking Crew, it's time to go to work. An in your face Fox industrial sound provides a migraine as the constant sound of a blacksmith forging Stormbreaker to the rhythm of an inescapable and uninspiring Asylum era Kiss guitar riff. Leather jackets and stained blue jeans is the chosen attire of the roadhouse cosplayer terrorizing the local barbecue joint. Blue ribbons hang on the wall as the smell of insincerity lingers and every note and synthesizer sound, they hiss like pressured gas. A very flat and less intimidating score fitting for the 5 a.m. construction site coffee break Wrecking Crew, I do not like it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny, I think, because the song is, it's meant to suggest that the new foundation are these, you know, these big, mean, tough guys. That the, the tempo of the song has a lumbering quality to it. It's slower, it's more ominously paced. We're supposed to think that this tag team are, are, are roughhouse bruisers. And don't get me wrong, Jim Nighthart is a big boy. He He's a thick piece of steak. And Owen wasn't a shrimp either. He, he was not Spike Dudley. But at the same time, the visuals of the new foundation did not match the sound. Because they came out wearing the pastel colors and the, the checkerboard pattern on their jackets. They wore the loose genie pants and the, the suspenders... Not exactly the outfits of tough men. So there was a bit of disparity between the look of the tag team and their theme. <laughs> was the the genie pants? Is that what yeah, got you? It,
2: yeah, just the whole... Um, <laughs> you said, yeah, this, this isn't the, well, the was, attire what, of a yeah. tough men.
0: And it's like, yeah, that's true. Yeah. So. I think the thing about this theme that I really want to touch on, and this is sort of a precursor to... Something we'll touch on more with the next theme is how this song sort of foreshadows the feud between Owen and Brett. Because the problem with having a tag team called The New Foundation, or a team called The New Anything really, is that it will almost always feel like a retread or a second-rate copy of the original, The New Foundation. The new Rockers, the new Midnight Express, the new Nexus even. Chances are, if your tag team starts with new and doesn't end with age, outlaws, or day, it's not going to work out well. And in the case of the new foundation, that turned out to be true. Because the Hart Foundation, they were around for years and years. They held the tag team titles a few times. They were a legendary tag team. New Foundation, not so much. They were only around for a few months. They never got any tag team title matches at all. And actually, the same is true for the theme song. The Heart Foundation theme, iconic. The New Foundation theme, while I don't think it's a bad song, it doesn't have the same magic as the Heart Foundation theme. Nobody talks about this song with the same reverence or the same nostalgia as they do with the Hart Foundation theme, this song it wasn't even exclusive to the new foundation. It would later be used uh, by the Heavenly Bodies a few years later. And that idea of Owen living in Brett's shadow, as well as an Owen theme living in the shadow of a Brett Hart theme, That will play out in the coming years and with our next song.
2: Yeah, and it's absolutely amazing that this was done without much thinking of building towards uh, that very important moment in Owen Hart's career when he turns heel and eventually goes on this amazing run. Uh, Just these little slights, if you will, or uh, oversights really helped build his case for when he did turn. Well, there's a lot of legit grievances that he can point to. Mm-hmm.
0: So, like I said, uh, the new foundation did not last very long. And in 1992, Owen became a singles wrestler for for a short time. Then he formed another tag team, High Energy, with Coco Beware, but that team also did not last very long. So in '93, Owen became a singles wrestler again. And all throughout that period of time, and all through to the New Generation era from 92 to 97, Owen would have this theme song, uh, his best known theme song for sure. It's by Jimmy Hart and J.J. McGuire. It's called High Energy. and I do stress the word peppy because this is a very cheerful, buoyant song. It's got a lot of pop influence to it. Uh, Some funk in there as well. Uh, Girls Just Want to Have Fun, uh, clearly being a big influence on the song. Some delightful guitar work in there, including a brief little gnarly solo. It's pretty much... A happy synthapalooza and the fact that it's called high energy is perfect because it's continuously effervescent and upbeat it always maintains that steady driving pace and as you get towards the climax the synths and the noodling guitars they come together to form this this big to-do and this big climax that is beaming with high energy until the very end Owen when he first had this song, was himself a high-energy babyface. All smiles, fast-paced action, so it, it fit him perfectly. And unlike the Blue Blazer theme, it's cheery without being too silly or cartoonish. It's the right amount of synth cheese for this era of Owen Hart.
2: High energy is my favorite Owen Hart theme. Just, you hear that. It's automatically signature. It's identifying. It's a semi-digitally modified, scattered, and guzzled snap bass. It floats over a conservative, gated reverb. The Jan Hammer-style synths flutter between tabernacle church chimes and reimagined Daft Punk Discovery-era harpsichords that are infused with insidious chirping of baby robins this is the arrival it's a bombastic it's in your face it cannot be ignored the king of hearts has arrived the sonic animation and forcefulness maintains its presence from beginning to end and it keeps its high energy as is the title the song builds to a crescendo of clashing symbols exploratory drum machine patterns and a guitar solo that will make vinnie vincent blush this all of course until the song's abrupt end high energy is a monster-fueled auditory dash to the finish line that laps itself several times while never really finishing the race i love this theme
0: yeah it's it's great and what's really great about it is when Owen turned heel, the song it, it sort of gained a whole new subtext, I think, because I talked you know, a few minutes before about how the new foundation you know, that highlights the relationship between Owen and Brett, the same is true for Owen's singles theme here. The, uh, the theme of their on-screen relationship and the crux of their feud was inferiority. The reason Owen turned on Brett was because he was sick and tired of living in Brett's shadow. He was tired of being made to feel inferior to Brett. He believed in himself. He believed that he was a better wrestler than Brett. But he never got the recognition that he felt he deserved. The only thing people knew him as was Bret Hart's kid brother. And all his life, Owen was looking up. At his more successful older brother. Brett won all the titles in the WWF. Owen had never won any. Brett was in the really famous and successful tag team. Owen was in the retread of that famous and successful tag team, which itself wasn't famous or successful. Brett was wrestling in the main event and was a top single star. Owen wasn't. He was, by all accounts, playing second fiddle to brett and if you look at this song high energy it too feels like it's playing second fiddle to brett's theme just as the new foundation theme had done brett's theme again iconic that legendary guitar squeal that kicks things off <laughs> those hard-edged serious riffs those epic guitar whales since that are meant to be taken seriously, because this is a serious main event level theme, and it means serious business. Owen's theme. It's fun. It's poppy. It's lighthearted. It sounds like Cindy Lauper. And don't get me wrong, this is not me throwing shade at this theme. I, I love this theme a lot. But to me, this song feels like it's not on the same level as Brett's theme. It doesn't have the same oomph as Brett's theme does. And I think because of that fact, it plays wonderfully into the storyline of Owen being so frustrated and jealous with Brett and his success. You know, it, it plays in that whole context just beautifully, I think.
2: I think also when you take a look at the theme and everything that Owen was doing... In the ring again one of the early pioneers and definitely ahead of his time in some cases and you think of that i mean it's a great montage and video package that you can put in your head or put on the screen of owen doing amazing stuff to that music and the guy who's doing less than that and is a bit more serious is getting the bigger cheers the biggest fan reaction and everything else where owen is literally out there trying to kill himself to get a pop and it's just not working to the level of Bret Hart. So yeah, everything that you said about the music and the comparison between the two and the uh, company wrestlers really hits home. Mm -hmm.
0: And what's really fascinating, I think is the fact that Owen, he kept this theme song even after he turned heel and he kept it for many, many years without remixing it into some, some slower, more, more darker version It was always this, and perhaps you could suggest that Owen not getting rid of his theme was him continuing to be indignant and self-righteous about being better than Brett. You know, you people all think that Brett's better than me. I'm going to prove you wrong. I'm better than Brett, and I'm going to keep using this theme song because I know that it's better than Brett's theme. And one day, all of you are going to realize that. It's Owen's indignation playing out not just in the ring or on the mic, but also with him keeping his theme song as well. And uh, of course, I would be remiss if I didn't uh, bring up the fact that Jimmy Hart and J.J. McGuire would eventually uh, rehash this song for the classic 1995 album Hulk Rules and the song I Wanna Be a Hulkamaniac. We talked about that, uh, Chris and I, on episode 12, uh, how high energy was used as the foundation for that uh, just awful song on that uh, awful album. So check out episode 12 if you want to hear that uh, monstrosity. (laughs) So in late 1997, as we got closer to the Attitude Era, Owen got a brand new theme. Uh, This is by Jim Johnston, and it's called Blackheart. Blackheart. Black gimmick, gimmick, uh, H-A-R-T, uh, came about because Owen, you know, the Montreal Screwjob happened, and Bret left, and Nightheart left, and Bulldog left. Owen was the only Hart family member still in the company, still in the WWF, and because of the screwjob, Owen turned face to fight DX, and this Owen was now edgier and more aggressive, and less you know, less prone to being comedic and goofy. He was the Black Heart. Uh, now he had already been using this song before the Screwjob and before the character change, but I think this song works much better with the edgier character because High Energy was an upbeat pop song. It was very synth heavy. And as we moved along in the decade, it, it sounded more and more dated. This song, while not the most creative song or the most fun song, it does fit this new Owen Hart character much better. Because it's a hard rock song, it's got these wailing guitars like Brett had, which is a nice nod there. It has the anvil sounds, which is also a nod to Nightheart. It has a bit of a manic pace to it. The tempo is much faster than we're used to with the Owen Hart theme, I think. So that all ties into the whole aggressive factor. And it's a song that sounds like it actually belongs in the Attitude Era, which, no offense to High Energy, but it it did not, I don't believe.
2: In Blackheart, Johnson's electro-industrial canvas conjures a modern urban setting. It's bleak and completely unsure of itself. we hear the beats like a sledgehammer and the snarling of the quickly strummed guitar creates a visual of a chase. The listener is along for the ride as the urgency continues to build as horror-style synths find their way comfortably through the ensuing auto chaos. The psychodrama's macabre pulsation never even attempts to give the listener comfort. Darkness has arrived.
0: That's true, but if you notice... If you listen real closely, there still are synths in the song, you know, in the background of the hook, and also that the manic sounding string synths of da 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 those are synths. So even though this is supposed to be the new, more aggressive, badass Owen Hart uh, with a serious, no nonsense theme, there, there, are, there is still that connection, those hints to the old Owen Hart. They're peppered in there. I mean, you could also argue, I guess, that the anvil sound effects also hint at that, because those are a bit goofy, I'd say, and they tie into the old New Foundation theme. And perhaps that's also a bit of foreshadowing, because this new and improved babyface Owen Hart did not last very long. Uh, he went back to being the bitter, you know, kind of more comical heel, in a way, after a few months when he joined the nation.
2: Yeah, and the Nation Run is probably one of my favorite Owen Hart pieces uh, outside of the early 90s, and stuff that he did with Brett. And so the Nation stuff is, again, very funny, uh, very endearing in some cases. And just to see Owen Hart just walk to the ring with Kama Mustafa, The Rock, D'Lo Brown, and Owen looks more pissed than any of them because uh, he really has a grudge. Uh, with just everyone in WWF, uh, Bret Hart, Vince McMahon, everyone. Yeah, and enough is enough.
0: Mm-hmm. We'll we'll get to that in just a second here. Uh, there was a second version of Black Heart, which I think is I guess the more famous version, and it's the same song pretty much, except it features a siren. Had to uh, hazard a guess. I I think the reason that Jim Johnston put that in the song is to give it, I think, a a more auspicious beginning, because at least High Energy had that opening drum beat. This just has a very brief anvil noise into the guitar riff. Again, just a guess. Um, I do know that around this time, Owen started wearing a singlet that had a black and yellow color scheme to it and it had danger written on it with, with uh, thick black and yellow stripes on the sides. He looked kind of like a walking construction sign. So maybe that ties into it somehow, where, you know, sirens usually mean danger or warning or, or lookout. Owen's singlet uh, you know, uh, says danger on it. He's got anvils in the song. So maybe the siren uh, is just one big caution sign that says, you know, Owen Hart is coming, he means business, you know, warning, warning, put your hard hat on. I I don't know. Just a guess.
2: No, that's a very good guess. I took away the same thing. I mean, obviously, version one and version two are the same songs, it's just the sirens are put in the front, uh, the sirens are still kept in the middle. and. It's a really interesting and alerting welcome uh, for the listener before it kicks into that Trent Reznor-style strum and clang. Mm
0: -hmm. Definitely. So in 1998, Owen Hart turned heel again, and like we said, he joined The Nation, an all-black stable led by The Rock, because in his own words, enough is enough, and it's time for a change so we got his own version of the nation theme and you can find it on wwe uncaged three this is enough is enough parentheses nation
1: well enough is enough and it's time for a change your best shot.
0: So when the Rock overthrew Farouk and kicked him out of the nation, the entrance music for the stable changed from the old theme, which was of course, We Are the Nation of Domination Nation of Domination to this theme, which of course would later become the Rock's solo theme. And again, it's extremely different. Than what we're used to with Owen. Because it's got so much swagger to it. And so much of a groove to it. The, the genre is completely different. It's so funky with that nasty bassline And the, the badass wah-wah guitar riff. Heavy percussion. Um, it, it's probably, I think, the coolest sounding theme that Owen has ever had. And I'd say it's the most raw theme as well. Because... Blackheart was aggressive and manic, but it was also kinda of steely, it was kinda of bland, kind of inhuman in a lot of ways. This song just screams organic, you know, raw, badass, cock of the walk, super cool, tons of strut, which is what the nation was all about once The Rock took over. It was less about militant black power and and, and fighting the white man, and more about being being hip and cool and helping the rock be be the guy. Hence the fact that they let a piece of Canadian white bread like Owen Hart into the group at all. <laughs>
2: <laughs> this song is a militant battle cry of a victim interlaced with constant wailing guitars. The beat marches forward almost in a military fashion. We hear Owen's voice throughout it's hostile, is insincere, it's fuming. This song, unabashedly, wears a black beret and dark shades. The drums are brooding, suspicious and scowling. What is happening? I'm not sure, but I'm sick of it, and it's time for it to end. Enough is enough. Hmm.
0: Yeah, this song, it's, it's pretty notable, I think, because it's the first theme that... Owen had it in the WWF with lyrics, technically because all throughout the song are clips of Owen ranting and raving. and the things that he says are similar in a lot of ways to his mindset in 94 against Brett, uh, except instead of being tired of living in the shadow of his older brother, Owen talks about how he's tired of being the nice guy and he's tired of you know going nowhere and that's why he snapped. And turned heel on, uh, I think it was Ken Shamrock, and he joined the nation. Uh, you know, en- enough is enough, and it's time for a change. I tried to be the nice guy. Come and take your best shot. I was a victim. I snapped. You turned your backs on me. I tried to play by the rules. And then it just repeats that. And that's interesting because, you know, normally when we hear this piece of music, we're so used to hearing the rock's dialogue in the mix know your role and shut your mouth and so forth, but in this case we're hearing Owen's dialogue sort of like how uh, you know, the individual members of Sanity all use the group theme as the foundation for their singles theme but on top of that each theme is different in the way it sounds so it's kind of cool how that all works out, I think
2: Yeah, and just using Owen's vocals really added to the track it really adds to the Paranoia, the self righteousness. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, it adds to Owen in some cases being insincere about his point, uh, but a point that, again, can be argued, uh, just as the nation feeling as though they've been blackballed, uh, sold out, the rock trying to carve a new direction. And so, Owen's lyrics, uh, just listening to the song again on repeat uh, prior to this podcast. Every time I hear Owen say, I'm a, I am was a victim or I try to be nice, it's, it's just hilarious to me um, because, again, it's that delusion, that delusional heel that thinks that he's giving the world what they want. Mm-hmm. But in reality, he isn't, and he's kind of making things a little worse, and he's kind of being a dick. Yeah,
0: <laughs> he thinks he's right, and that's the beauty yeah. of what makes him a great heel. I don't have much else to say about this one, uh, mostly because I want to talk about it uh, a little bit more on the next episode. Hint, hint. Nudge, nudge. But uh, yeah, it's it's very (laughs) it's kind of strange to look back on Owens' uh, theme history and and see that he had the nation theme, and he was even the fact that he was even part of the nation to begin with is is pretty funny, Uh, and you know. And of course, there's that (laughs) there's that segment on Raw where uh, DX dressed up as the nation, uh, which nowadays we know is highly problematic in a lot of ways. Because a few of them, they they are not blackface. But honestly, I I still laugh when uh, Jason Sensation comes out with the garbage bag and the yellow tape all over, with the big fake nose on and the wig, saying, "I am not a Nugget. Look how big my goddamn nose is." It, it's funny to me, you know. Oh, yeah. Jason Sensation was
2: amazing uh, in that role as Owen Hart. Unfortunately, uh, a lot of the members of DX wearing blackface. uh, But Jason Sensation was a shining moment in that other rise, uh, pretty tasteless segment. Again, uh, I'm not a huge fan of blackface or yellowface or anything like that.
1: No, no, no. Uh, no. (laughs) Yeah.
2: But uh, (laughs) aside from that pretty good segment, it was entertaining. And Jason Sensation was definitely the star of the show.
0: Definitely, yeah. And when Owen left the nation, he got his final singles theme as Owen Hart. It's available on a WWE anthology, and it's just called Enough is Enough.
1: Well, enough is enough, and it's time for a change! Come and take your best shot! I tried to be a nice guy, I tried to play by the rules, you turned your backs on me!
0: nothing new to add or to say about this one it's literally the audio clips from the previous theme the nation theme mixed into the blackheart theme so basically it keeps the status quo of owen as the the angry uh, you know no more mr nice guy heel and and pairing it with the aggressive guitar rock of blackheart which i guess makes more sense than him being a face with the song because you know, aggressive music it tends to be suited better for heels. So it, it just, the song, it just does reinforce this, you know, the, the intense style that Owen had adopted over the past year or so since The Screwjob. And uh, of course, Owen would keep this theme throughout, uh, throughout his final months with his tag team with Jeff Jarrett and all the way until his uh, untimely death at uh, Over the Edge 1999.
2: Have you got a chance to watch Over the Edge '99 or the Raw is Owen episode?
0: I've seen a lot of clips from Raw is Owen, but I do not want to watch Over the Edge. Uh, it, it, I I can't do it.
2: Yeah, I remember when the WWE Network first came into being, the Over the Edge pay per view was left off. Um, obviously, for uh, because of the death of Owen Hart, and some people really wanted it to be there for some reason it wasn't really a good show obviously Owen dying uh, made it even worse Um, so I just really find that interesting for newer fans as you said that you started watching around uh, 2003 I believe you said uh, just your thoughts and opinions of that era when you go back with fresh eyes and you take a look at Raw is Owen you take a look at uh, the controversies surrounding Over the Edge and just Owen as a performer, just at that time before he went into the wrestling ring in the clouds. So, what did you think of Owen as a performer?
0: I mean, he was tremendous. You know, he was incredible as a performer. He could do pretty much anything as a pure babyface wrestler, as the annoying. Bitter heel, uh, singles matches, tag matches, Owen could pretty much make anything work. Uh, That's how great he was as a performer. And, you know, he remained consistently great, too, throughout the years. Uh, From the end of Hulkamania to the new generation to the Attitude Era, you could always rely on Owen to give you a top-notch performance. Especially when a lot of the other roster members probably couldn't, you know? You had Brett, you had Sean, you had a few other guys, but not many of them could You know, continually put on the same in-ring magic as Owen could, night after night. So Owen, his consistency as a wrestler and as a performer speaks volumes. And I think the fact that a guy who is... Such a, a net positive in the world, who brought so much joy and entertainment to people. The fact that he, he died in such a, a horrifyingly tragic and violent way is just, it, it's just plain awful. And it's something that I, I really don't like to think about. That that Owen's story ended that way. And that this this wonderful human being like Owen Hart ended that way. It, its It's very rough to think about.
2: Yeah, and what makes it even worse is that Owen was on an upswing of his career, uh, creatively speaking, in the ring, just really putting it all together. I mean, he'd had it together for years prior to that, but he was really entertaining. And one of the main reasons why I tuned into Raw at the time and watched the WWF program, he was in my top 10 acts I wanted to see. Very entertaining. And a lot of wrestlers, when they go on. They're usually on a decline or they're irrelevant or anything like or something along those lines. But Owen was in your face, still active, still getting good responses from the crowd. People were still invested. And I think one of the interesting things since Owen died is that I think that in this climate, in this day of age where everyone is so cynical and jaded and They normally turn on people. Uh, There's certain parts of the internet that you can go to, and Shawn Michaels is the greatest wrestler of all time. You go to other parts of the internet, and they will run you out of that virtual town with pitchforks if you mention that. But Owen Hart, it's been consistent love for over 20 years. There's really no contrarian movement against Owen Hart. Uh, I think that people, because he died. The way he died and he lived the way he lived and his career ended, uh, I don't want to necessarily say on a high note, but during a movement of uh, definitely being entertaining and being valuable to the product, uh, that a lot of people are able to appreciate the work without overstating or overvaluing. Uh, I take a look at a lot of people's top 100 wrestlers of all time and Owen Hart's not on the list but he's in the top 250, he's in the top 500, Uh, but no one has taken a stance to try and force Owen into the narrative of uh, Jumbo Saruta or Brian Danielson of one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. Um, And so I I really think that actually helps Owen uh, because when we start talking about him and younger listeners uh, listen to him, or excuse me, not listen to him, but listen to a podcast like this and they begin exploring Owen Hart, it's two level-headed guys having a conversation about Owen. Uh, Obviously, we both love him and really enjoy his his work, so there might be a little hyperbole here and there. Uh, But overall, you don't have these stands uh, as you do with some of the other people that can just be really off-putting. It produces conspiracy theories, contrarian arguments, things like that, and it all goes to shit. But Owen has, by the grace of God, survived that, and it's really... Comforting and fun and exciting to always talk about Owen Hart and uh, never really have to tell any tall tales when it comes to his in ring work or where he was as far as the company position is concerned, where he stands as far as the all time greats. And so it was really refreshing uh, to have that conversation.
0: So, yeah, that was the theme history of the late great Owen Hart. And, you know, as is the case for most of the episodes for this. Podcast, we did have some themes that a lot of people probably remember fondly, and some themes that a lot of people don't remember at all. Uh, certainly, in the case of the WCW theme or the uh, the TSWA theme, but you know that's the point of the show. It's not just to talk about the famous themes of a wrestlers' career, but also discover the themes that you know they aren't as famous, and in doing so, help create a clear picture of what their career and their, their body of work was. And really what I wanted to do with this episode is, you know, I wanted to talk about more so Owen's life than his death, because, you know, a lot's been said about and debated about and discussed about over the years about Owen's death, and for good reason, because it's, it is one of the most notable tragedies in wrestling history, and the circumstances surrounding it are... Very controversial and contentious, but I don't think we should ever let the tragedy of Owen's death overshadow the joy that was his life, because even though his life was horribly cut short, and it's incredibly sad that it was, he still gave us so much joy and happiness and fun memories with his wrestling and his character work. And the stories of him ribbing wrestlers and all that stuff when he was still alive. So I just say, you know, instead of arguing about his death, let's focus more on celebrating his life. Because I think that's, at the end of the day, that's what's most important.
2: I totally agree with that point.
0: All right. That does it for this episode of Music of the Met. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, Tom... Thank you again for being on the show here. Uh, Any plugs you want to give? Just go right ahead.
2: Yeah, sure. There's uh, some plugs I want to give. First off, the Place to Be Nation, the Pro Wrestling Only feed on SoundCloud. You can also find it on Google Play, iTunes. Uh, So take a listen. Uh, Just punch it in into your feed app, your podcast app on your phone, and you'll be able to find it. The Military Industrial Suplex is my podcast. I have some interesting guests coming up to say the least should be very fun again that's the military industrial suplex at mis podcast at mis podcast that is my twitter handle so yeah hit me up on twitter the dms
0: are open (laughs) and music of the mat is part of the voices of wrestling podcast network home to some fantastic wrestling podcasts like shake them ropes Print Res Roundtable, Everything Evolves, The Super J Cast, Burning Spirits, and many, many more. Check them all out at VoicesOfwrestling.com. Follow the show on Twitter at Musicofthemat. Follow me on Twitter at AndrewTrich. Go to the Voices of Wrestling forums to find the YouTube playlist for this and all past episodes. That's voicesofwrestling.com forum. And, of course, make sure you give this show a five-star rating and review on iTunes. Also, listen to us on Spotify and Google Podcasts. And, of course, tell all of your friends about Music of the Mat. Tom, this was a great time talking to you about uh, Owen Hart and his his life and his career and his entrance themes. And, uh, you know, I hope you enjoyed yourself as well.
2: Yeah, I did. And Andrew, I'm giving your podcast 7 stars.
0: Oh. We are thank past you
2: so the 5-star era.
0: We broke the barrier. All right. We're we're breaking it today. <laughs> All right, cool. Okay, for Tom Batista, I'm Andrew Rich and I'll see you next time on Music of the Mat. Take care, guys. <laughs>